0: The Gospel according to Saint Luke. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole world should be enrolled. This was the first enrollment when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all went to be enrolled, each to his own town. And Joseph too went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David that is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house of and family of David, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to have her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were shepherds in that region living in the fields and keeping the night watch over their flock. The angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were struck with great fear. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For today in the city of David, a Savior has been born for you who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find an infant wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, There was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The Gospel of the Lord. In our Old Testament reading today, Isaiah proclaims that light is coming. Now, there are obvious reasons why light is such an important metaphor in scripture. Light shines into dark places so that you can see things. When I sneak out of my daughter's room (laughs) at night after reading her a story and allowing her to drift off to sleep, I use the flashlight on my phone to get down from the top bunk of the bed and to quietly make my way out the door as not to disturb her. I'm also trying to be careful that I don't step on any dangerous toys and break my neck, which it's wonderful that I haven't so far. Light reveals what is unseen in the dark. In scripture, light also stands for the glory of God. That wherever we see light, we see God's presence or God's glory manifested, the tangible manifestation of God's beauty in the world. So anytime you read scripture and you run across this old church word, glory. You know what this means. You can think of God's beauty and splendor and majesty, that light and glory are a representative of God's presence. But then we see another theme, the theme of joy. Where there is light, there is joy. The poet speaks of two different kinds of joy. The first is the joy of the harvest. Before the harvest, there's anxiety. The farmer is wondering, will the harvest come? Will it come like it has in the past? Will it continue to sustain me in the way that it has before? And then there is great joy when it comes. The second joy is of warriors dividing their plunder. This is when you have something that you didn't have before, which is what we celebrate in Christmas, that Christ has come to us in a new way. You rejoice over it. But then there's another theme, in addition to light and joy, If we're lulled into sentimentalism by these two concepts that seem abstract, light and joy, there's the declaration, a rude awakening, where Isaiah uses the language of the release of prisoners after a vicious military struggle. The yoke that has burdened them is shattered, the rod of the oppressor is broken. The way of light, the way of joy, the way of Jesus, the way of the kingdom of God shatters oppression in all of its forms. When the light comes, it shatters the oppression of addiction. It shatters the oppression to sin and to the results of sin. It shatters the oppression of those who have been held down in their society because of their race, color, or creed. As the song goes... Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. This new kingdom brings light, it brings joy, it brings broken yokes. This new age will be characterized by universal peace. So no longer will governments have to issue military uniforms. No longer will they have to produce the paraphernalia of war. All remembrances of war can be tossed into the fire because they're going to be useless. War is awful. We see today the awfulness of war in Ukraine. We see also the awfulness that leads to war. That Jesus reminded us that it's not just murder itself, or we could say not just war itself, but it's those impulse towards moving towards one another in anger or in hostility. All of that will be broken. We see this in terms of political gridlock and cultural gridlock in our world But we also see this on a small scale, division within families, division within the church. All of that rumors war. but this reminds us, Isaiah reminds us, none of that's forever. The pain of division will one day cease. Now, Isaiah's first hearers would be shocked that this great change that's about to happen, this new world that's about to happen, would come through the birth of a child. They didn't expect a child. They expected the Incredible Hulk. But this shows us that the way of power is different in the kingdom of God. The Messiah flips on its head how the world conceives of power. This reminds us of 1 Corinthians one twenty-five that says, the weakness of God is stronger than our strength. He's chosen weak things to confound the strong. And then the child has these big titles, right? Um, My name is Robert Preston Sharp. And and when I was little, I remember my mom passing down stories of I'd go to the doctor and they'd say Robert Preston Sharp. And they'd say, that's such a big name for such a little boy. (laughs) Well, Jesus's name is way beyond um, anything like that. So Jesus's name here, the child's name that's to come as we anticipate Jesus, because this is the prophet Isaiah speaking. He says his name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Notice that the hope of this child is not based on anything Israel did, anything humanity has done, anything one person has done. It is only based on the power of God breaking into the darkness with light. Isaiah prophesies about a king who will come and rule this world, not another world, this world. The world that's currently broken by injustice and war. We see from the Gospels that the kingship of Jesus is quite different from the empires of this world. Jesus establishes his kingdom not through domination and coercion, but through self-giving and liberating love. This is the heart of Christ's kingdom, giving. Jesus exercises authority in a way that's different from the ways of the world. It's always through the healing and restoration of human beings. He calls us into the sober vocation of being his agents. So in a world where everybody's jockeying for position and jockeying for power and trying to defeat one another, Christians are invited to embrace a new day, a new way of being in the world, that a new day has dawned. And to live Christ's rule and reign means to live differently here and now. And this is what Paul speaks of in our Titus readings, which are a bit abrupt on Christmas Day. In the middle of the text for Christmas Day pops this short reflection on the importance of godly living. Do we want to hear this today? Maybe you just had a nice meal with your family or you're settling in and maybe you're sitting by a nice fire or something, enjoying a nice beverage. Maybe you just opened up your presents and everybody's excited and happy and you want to go, can we just have a minute without being told (laughs) that we're called to live rightly? (laughs) How can Titus' encouragement to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions, to live a life that is self-controlled, how can that inform how we live on a celebratory day like today? Well, the truth is, if the grace of God has appeared, if the incarnation is real, if God gave himself for us to redeem us from wickedness and to purify us as his people, as is said in this reading, that changes everything including our behavior, the things from which we flee and the things to which we cling. If Christ is with us, transforming us into who he has created us to be, this means we're not left to our own devices. We're not muddling around just trying to be moral people, defining ourselves by the narratives of the world. No, God is working. God is speaking. And if we really have a blessed hope, as Paul says, that Christ will come again to reveal the hidden things and to make things whole, if his reign will culminate in true justice and beauty and goodness and mercy and freedom and healing, we are invited to anticipate this blessed hope by how we live. God's grace does something. Grace changes you. Grace changes me. God's grace leads to self-control. Paul likely has in mind the ability to refrain from behaviors like drunkenness and slander and theft, as well as many other vices. These things lead us away from who we're created to be, what it means to be truly human. St. John Chrysostom writes worldly passions are directed towards things that perish with the present life. Let us then have nothing to do with these. Then Paul uses the term devout or godly. In our world, these words devout and godly take on negative connotations. Godliness is often associated with something being fake or forced. The last thing anyone wants to be in our world today is holier than thou. This isn't what Paul has in mind. For Paul, godly living is about being aware of and in God's presence, it's about the natural rhythms of prayer and the fully human behavior which anticipates the rule and reign of God. Paul refers to the present age, drawing onto the Jewish concept of the present age and the age to come. So Christians are awaiting the blessed hope, where we will see the fullness of God's glory in Jesus Christ. We live in light of this future hope. We don't wait in fear. It's not like a student waiting to see if he or she failed a test. Often verses like this are used to tell people they better shape up because Jesus is coming back. So you better start living right. And then we fall short of God's best for our lives. And we often feel guilty. We feel shame. In the 20th century, it was common in the church to tell people, get ready. I remember seeing a bumper sticker that said, Jesus is coming back, look busy. (laughs) But this is not the focus of the passage. The life of the Christian is not just a long test that's pass or fail. Paul calls on Christians to anticipate the rule and reign of God through our behavior. And by doing so, Paul believes we'll transform our families and we'll transform the world. Paul believes that the ransom which has been brought about in Christ frees the Christian to live as the creator God has intended us to live. That when we live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, we're actually becoming more human because we've been set free from wickedness. This freedom allows us to live and be in ways that are healing and restorative. And this is really the real meaning of good works, not just behaving yourself. Good works are a way of living that comes about by grace. We participate in God's healing and restoring the world. Our gospel reading, which I read just a moment ago, it resonates in our cultural consciences. We know this story. We know the story of the birth of Jesus. We know the scene of the manger and a quiet young family bowing their heads under a star. We sing songs about cattle lowing and oxen and lambs. Luke doesn't mention any of those things, but we sing songs about them. (laughs) We know there's something about this story that's special. We know it speaks to humility in a way that's unique, something reverent. It's central to the Christian story, but it's also become part of our cultural mythology. It might actually be too familiar. We have lost the scandal of the God-man, that God came as a baby. Frederica Matthews Green speaks about how many of us that grew up Christian, which in our culture that is probably your cradle religion or where you come from, likely. But those of us who grew up Christian that that we know this story, it was it was the but, she says it was the butter and milk at the top of our oatmeal. <laughs> it's become so familiar to us. But in our celebrations we often miss the forest for the trees. So we reflect on this peaceful scene, which teaches us about humility and kindness, but we miss the revolution. We miss the scandal. The subversiveness of this story is evident from its very beginning. So Luke starts by telling us that this is about power. It's about a change in power. The political climate at the time, who is in charge? The Christmas story is not just something that happens up in the air somewhere. It happens in history, in real time. Like the cheesy movie trailers, which begin with a deep voice saying, In a world. Luke tells us the state of the world in just a few words. The first thing that we're told is that Caesar Augustus is emperor and he's taking a census. In a world where Caesar Augustus calls for a census. In a world where Augustus is calculating his power and his resources. Now, Rome is pretty far from Palestine, but Caesar's presence is felt even here in this little place. Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar, who was known for his salads. That's that's actually not true. Julius was very powerful. But it was Augustus, his son, who took the Roman Republic and turned it into an empire. And in doing so, Augustus proclaimed he had brought peace and justice to the whole world. Some even started calling Augustus the Prince of Peace. Augustus said his father was God, so that made him the son of God. Some said that Augustus was the savior of the world. Does that language sound familiar? But here's the, the difference. Augustus's rule was peace, but not peace. It was justice, but not justice. Why? Because Augustus' peace, Augustus' justice, always came through domination. It came at the end of the sword. Anytime someone accumulates power through violence, true peace has not been achieved. Augustus' peace is fake peace. This is the backdrop of our story. Behind the scenes of the empire, violence rules. Luke continues by telling us about jo- Joseph. If you don't know Joseph's story, it suffices to say that he never asked for this. Joseph was just minding his own business. He was a man who was born in Bethlehem and Judea, but had at some point moved all the way to the other side of Palestine, to Nazareth in Galilee. He has pledged to marry a girl who was told by an angel that she will give birth to a child who will change the world an angel appears to Joseph in a dream telling him to take Mary as his wife. So he risks his own reputation. He he risks Mary's reputation obeying what the angel told him to do. Joseph had relocated and he's going home now for the census. Many of us know the feeling of relocation from one place to the other. Joseph had most likely relocated to Nazareth for work which means he was a hard worker from a poor family who is now building a family on his own. Joseph goes home for the one specific reason of the census. This becomes the opportunity for the prophecy to be fulfilled that Jesus will be born in the town of David. And then we have Mary, who quickly goes from virgin pledged to be married to expectant mother for an expectant world. Yes, her reputation was changed and shattered. No, her poverty doesn't seem like it was relieved. And yet, she holds on to the fact that God has been faithful to his people and God will be faithful again. She holds on to the angel's command, do not be afraid. And together, this couple, Joseph and Mary, journey 90 miles for three days. But they're not alone. God is with them. Now, our folk traditions have us painted this scene of them going from kind of hotel to hotel, from inn to inn, knocking on the door, only to be turned away and then finding place in a stable. The word for inn in Greek could mean any, a bunch of different things. They were most likely on the ground floor of a house where the fa- there was a family that lived upstairs. The ground floor was typically used for animals, but we don't know if there were animals there at the time. And then we have shepherds. At the time of Jesus' birth, there were laws on the books in Palestine declaring that shepherds couldn't testify in a court of law. That they were seen as shady and you couldn't trust what they had to say. Can you imagine that feeling? The life of shame that they endured. Your word, your reputation, even your perspective on events seems like it has no value. And then we have the angels. Angels. In the Bible, the presence of angels means the world is changing, (laughs) that heaven and earth are meeting, that something is different. Angelic visitations are not told casually as if they're commonplace. Angels come from elsewhere. They talk about a different world. They tell us how things are going to be. And these angels appear to the shameful, to the outsiders, to those who are far away. So if you wanted to make up a story about the birth of a king, you wouldn't pick shepherds as the main characters because people wouldn't trust what they have to say. This story harkens us back to another story when the shepherd boy David was called from tending the sheep so that he could be anointed king. Here the angel shows up in a field nearby and says, You of ill repute. You, the shady, the broken, those who are not liked by society, I bring good news of great joy to all people, and this news is coming first to you. Think for a minute about all the times when you felt that you are not good enough. Think about the places where people have told you that you are disqualified because of something that you have done or something about who you are. Think about the times where you've been told you're not smart enough, you're not good-looking enough, you're not educated enough, you're not holy enough, you're not talented enough. Perhaps you feel like you never lived up to your potential. Maybe you feel like you've let your family down. Though all of us are plagued by false narratives that we've heard and believed, they are particularly unique and heavy often in our culture for women and for people of color and other minorities many who have been implicitly or explicitly notified that there's something fundamentally wrong about who they are as a person. To those of you who have heard these lies, the narratives, the angels bring good news of great joy. This news is for all people. Therefore, it must be internalized. It must change us. Yes, this is good news for you. And it is also good news for the world. The oppressed, the shameful, the poor, the left out, the left for dead, the weeping. This is good news for them. This is the good news, and it can't bring anything but great joy. The sign to the shepherds is that they will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The manger itself is not all that important. The manger is a sign. The baby. The angel says to the shepherd, Is the Messiah, the Lord? So the scene's strange. Angels appearing to shepherds, scaring them, overwhelming them with glory and beauty and majesty. Then they stop and say, And you know, all these things are going to happen because this beautiful king we're talking about is going to be found in an animal's feeding trough. The glorious has become commonplace, the majestic has become tangible. We are challenged in this moment to think about the commonplace in our lives. Your everyday life matters. God is with you there. There is nothing outside of the grace of God. When you go about your day with your families, with your friends, with your neighbors, when you meet with a client or you serve others, you're doing all of this to the glory of God. As you redecorate or remodel your home, you can do it to the glory of God. As you reconcile spreadsheets or write songs or treat sick people, those places can be sacramental places where heaven and earth meet. In a world where Augustus ruled through violence, where the poor were trampled, there was a young boy born on the underside of power in a commonplace setting he was not the son of a Roman emperor, or not a king, son of a king. He was born among and to the minority, to the oppressed. Within a generation, this young boy would be called the Prince of Peace, Son of God, Savior, and Lord. His birth confronts the very forces by which the story is framed. In this story, we encounter the comfort, the the uh, conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. The kingdom of God appears weak and insignificant and small, and the nativity story by itself appears not significant at all. It doesn't appear special. A young couple giving birth in a humble room, shepherds of ill repute and maybe some animals. But by contrast, the kingdom of Caesar does appear strong. Augustus had never even heard of Jesus. He's certainly not threatened by him. Yet within a century, Augustus' successors are taking steps to wipe out Jesus' followers. What happened here? In the proclamation to the shepherds, the angels say that this child is the Savior, Lord, and Christ. The one who saves, who has authority, and who will set free is the same one who Luke says is wrapped in cloths to keep his limbs from flailing. He's the same one who's born in the place where animals stay. He's the same one who spends his first days in the presence of shepherds. Looks can be deceiving. If we in this world are given the choice between the success of Augustus and the obscurity of this story, so many of us time and time again would choose the success of Augustus. It appears to be the better story, the bigger story, the flashier story, the more successful story. When the stories of our world, consumerism, hatred, violence, performance, approval, compete for our attention, when they seem like they suck up the oxygen in the room, when they seem like they are what the good life, what life is all about, we are stopped dead in our tracks by the Christmas story. In Jesus, the world has changed. In a world where hope seems lost, hope has come. In a world where we see on the news anything but peace, peace has come. In a world where we are more divided than we ever have been and hate is driven by fear, love has come. This is good news. Amen. Let's take a moment and be still in reflection on these words.